Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Brooklyn-based jazz trombonist and composer Andrew Danforth. He opened up about his new 2023 CD called Homegrown, an album that is a dedication to the past, present, and future of creative music in Indianapolis and a musical representation of the natural landscape, humanity, and social geography of Indianapolis that he has grown to care so deeply for. He is a product of the Indianapolis jazz scene. Throughout his career, he has performed and recorded with world-class artists, and now he's ready to talk about the solo project and his career in jazz enjoy the story it's great to meet you i really enjoyed homegrown and before we get into the latest album i want to know how you survived these last three years it was quite a thing on the jazz community did its thing to all of us how did you get through it and how has it changed you yeah so i was deciding whether i wanted to be an orchestral player or a jazz player for a while and during the pandemic i had a lot of time to really figure that out. I mean, you know, we weren't playing gigs. I wasn't taking auditions and whatnot. So there was a lot of empty space going on. I actually started working a job building ventilators during the pandemic up in Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, So it was was away from music for a while, um, but really kind of fell, fell in love with the idea that I, as much as, you know, the jazz community is, you know, I'm, I'm a part of it. It's, it's helped, it's helped me so much. I didn't realize how much of a personal connection I had to the music really until the pandemic. I really realized that I needed that. I needed that community. I needed that art. And I mean, jazz is so much more than just playing an instrument on stage. I mean, there's the community, the the aspect that you're communicating with an audience. The audience is such a part of the jazz community, the listener. Um, so I think often especially jazz musicians, we can get into an idea if we're an artist that, you know, it's all about us. And, and, you know, we have this special voice we're trying to create, but the the hang and the interplay between audience and artist is so important and uh, realized how much I was missing that during the pandemic when we couldn't go out to clubs and see shows and hang with people and whatnot and get that, you know, that personal human connection with, with the audience that we have, which is so important. Yeah. So talk to me about the latest album. How does it feel to have an album now out with live music happening? And obviously, you know, you were working another job and now you're back into music. How does it all collectively feel? Oh, it feels great. I mean, we just got off the road. We were doing a 10 day album release tour around the Midwest um, just to play that music and evolve with the band. It is so refreshing. Um, I'm really excited about this album coming out, Um, came out September 8th and you know, it's a dedication to my upbringing and to the jazz community in Indianapolis, which is really, really strong. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for people to listen to it and hopefully, you know, take away different perspectives from the album. So speaking of, you know, you know, talking about Indianapolis and getting into music, let's go to your beginnings. How did this journey into the music and more specifically jazz happen? Well, so my dad's a professional horn player, and growing up, he had all my sisters and I taking piano lessons, which we hated, and I was such a bad piano student, I I didn't like it, but my twin got involved with the jazz band in middle school, and all my friends were doing it, so I started playing, um, and then found some records that my parents had, and would go after school, middle school, and just listen to the Smithsonian collection of jazz, and uh, yeah, Chick Corea, Humpty Dumpty, or uh, falling uh, 
sorry, Mad Hatter, that's the album. But you know, all these records that uh, I still think about today that were really crucial for me, but I would just go home and listen to those and uh, really fell in love with it. Decided to switch to trombone in high school so that I could play in the jazz band. I was originally a euphonium player. Um, and, you know, it's just, there was no one point where I was like, I got to do this for a living. It just, it kind of happened. It was, you know, it's who I am. It's, you know, what, what I've loved since middle school. So what was the first live jazz show you ever saw that blew you away? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think the first live jazz performance I saw that blew me away was at the Butler Youth Jazz Program, which is run by Matt Pivick um, at Butler University in Indianapolis. They had a great youth jazz program where we had a really intensive history pro lesson, and uh, we learned about theory, got to play in combo and big band and start writing and uh, transcribing and whatnot. And uh, saw the faculty on Butler perform a set of music. And really, it was uh, Kenny Phelps on drums, who's an incredible, incredible drummer. Um, just the way he, he played and the way he was so passionate about the music, even, you know, performing for a bunch of kids. It was just really, really inspiring for me to hear someone at that level um, play so passionately. So talk to me a little bit about what was your first gig? What was it like to get on stage the first time? Did it feel natural? How, did, how does it feel? Um, first gig, I think, was through that Butler Youth Jazz Program. I was playing at the Jazz Kitchen. I was, like, probably 13 years old playing Euphonium, and uh, I was so scared. I was, like, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, and, you know, for a while it was like that, you know, getting on stage, especially in, like, an orchestral setting where, you know, you gotta nail, you gotta be nails the whole time. Uh, it was really nerve wracking, but you know, I don't really get that way anymore. Even this tour, it's just so fun to play with good musicians. I mean, you know, you know, things are going to happen. You're going to mess up, but it's how you come back from those, I guess, moments of failure, you know, it's not failure. We're jazz musicians. All these things are like, you know, as Bob Ross said, happy little accidents. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> So now it's fun. I love I love performing. I never get I never get those nerves anymore, which is really great. So there's so many things that go into being a professional musician, but what do you look forward to the most? What do you love the best about it? I love the creative aspect on stage. I love uh playing with different people and getting to explore the different avenues that the music can take us. I think the creative process is is so uh inspiring and so fun. And it's one of the, it's the main reason I decided to go into jazz instead of a, a classical orchestral route. So why do you love jazz? Oh, the community, the hang, the, the history, um, the creative element of it. This is everything about it. You know, it's, it's who I am. It's, it's everything I love about life is uh, involved in that. So, Talk to me a little bit about if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any musician anywhere, where are you going? I'm going to see Rasan Roland Kirk uh, play with Frank Zappa. There was a oh, one wow. concert, one concert they had apparently that was not recorded. That was supposedly one of the best musical experiences you could have ever seen. I mean, Rasan is a huge, huge influence of me on me. Um, love his playing and writing. Uh, so passionate. I mean, just 100% about the music. I mean, that's ended up, that's 
you know, why he, I think, passed away. So, yeah, I mean, he was playing three instruments at a time for four hours straight, not taking a breath. I mean, and that was like, you know, he was committed to the music. I mean, and to see someone like that play with an artist like Frank Zappa, uh, who's just like completely on another level, yeah. uh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you ultimately run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I think I'm a human being first, uh, musician second, but also as time goes on, I'm realizing that those two things are not mutually exclusive, especially in the jazz community. Um, it's like how you are, how you hang, how you act is how you play. So, yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to pick up homegrown, they want to see you live, anything about your world, where can they go? Yeah, so you can check out Homegrown on any streaming service. Um, we would, I would love it if you uh, bought, it, downloaded it from my Bandcamp. We have some CDs available. So if you check out Andrew Danforth on either Bandcamp or iTunes, you can purchase the album. We've also got some merch available: T-shirts, posters, and stickers. So all that's all available on my Bandcamp and Bandcamp all. Almost all the revenue goes back to the artist, and that's why everyone is going to Bandcamp now. I mean, it's such a great platform for uh, creatives. Absolutely, it is. Andrew, this has been great. Thank you for opening up. Again, I love the album. I already had it on the show. So thank you for your time today. Best of luck oh, with everything. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Indianapolis, Brooklyn, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Andrew for his time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.